Good ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Fundamism Podcast. The podcast where we have open, honest, and unscripted discussions about how to create additional joy, fun, and fulfillment in life. Now, I am your host, Paul J. Long, and I'm excited to be back with you. It's been a bit, so let's turn up. How do you define fulfillment? Would you even recognize it if you had it? We live in a society right now that is consistently seeking fulfillment from external sources or people. But true fulfillment is found or rather created from within. So how do you define it? And what if, what if you could help others, not just personally, but professionally in your respective organization, what if you could help them identify what fulfillment looks like? What if you could feel and help empower others to create it for themselves? And ultimately, what if we all could embrace joy through the process? Now, I've had some amazing opportunities to speak across the nation over the course of the last multiple months. And what I found is many people consistently ask me, what would you say you do? Well, for years, I would say I, I help people create more fun, have more fun in life. Now, that's been a differentiator for me and my brand. I'm known as the fun guy. It's been a career maker but it's also been a career limiter. I had a speakers bureau recently tell me, you know, Paul, in the last 10 years, I've had two organizations reach out to me looking for a speaker on fun. That's interesting to me. As I reflected on this interaction, I realized that, that fun isn't really what I do. Fun is the vehicle in which I deliver what I do. Fun is a desired outcome in which I hope to help people have along their journey in life. But what I really do is I help people identify, empower, and embrace fulfillment in life. How is it defined for you? I'm a couple days removed from an event with the Nebraska Bankers Association, and I met this wonderful lady by the name of Amy, who sat in the front row. And she was taking copious notes, which is the best feedback you could give any speaker, because it expresses that you find value in something that is being said. Now, I, I asked the audience, how do you define fulfillment? And Amy had one of the most profound answers that I've heard anybody share in the months that I've been doing this exercise. She said, I would define fulfillment as peace, serenity, tranquility, inner peace, 
I found that answer to be fascinating. If you think about it, fulfillment is defined many ways for all sorts of people. Oftentimes, fulfillment is defined by very surfacey things like uh, family. Not to say family is surfacey, but I'm saying on the on its core foundation, just saying family is fulfilling to me. It's not really deep. So what is it specifically about your family? What are the desired outcomes? What are the experiences that you want to create that would ultimately lead you to 50 years from today, 30 years from today, 70 years from today while sipping my ties on the beach saying, we did it, fam. We lived a fulfilling life. How would it have looked? Peace. See, if you think that you're fulfilled by money or positions of power, what's interesting about that is the more money you make, it seems like oftentimes the less fulfilled we are. We want more. We want more money. We want more opportunity. I want to spend more time with my family. I want to have the time to be able to enjoy the money that I've made. Peace is a profound answer. If we could shut off all of that inner dialogue in your head, all of that self-doubt, all that anxiety, all that negative self-talk, if we could just, if we could put all, all that darkness to the side for a moment and just find peace, how would that make you feel? Would, would that be fulfilling? So many individuals right now are just looking for that. Peace. To turn off this chatter in our brain that says that we constantly have to be doing more, that we constantly need more, that we constantly have to seek the approval of others. What if you could shut that off? Would that be fulfilling to you? What would you be willing to sacrifice for that? If I could say right now, let's reduce your salary or let's cap your salary. Let's find a way to Identify the things that you need, the things that you want, the things that you absolutely have to have, right, in this life, and find a way to, to cap your income and say everything that you need or have to have, let's remove the wants for this for, for a brief moment. Everything you need and you have to have to survive is right here. And you can accomplish it all by making whatever that amount is, $40,000 a year, $60,000 a year, $80,000 a year, whatever it is. But in capping that income, you could live a life of peace 
and tranquility, of freedom, of a mental space where you're not constantly worrying about having to lead others through challenge, where you're not constantly have to worry about how others are receiving you. We're constantly not worried about how the executive team hears and, and relays and interprets what you say. Would that be worth it to you? Would that be worth it to you to remove yourself of all that angst? Knowing that your income is capped. Fulfillment. Such an interesting topic. See, for me, I'm fulfilled through experience. Experiences of fun, of meaningful connection, of humor. I'm heart-driven. And when I have the opportunity to connect with people, it, make, it makes me feel some, some kind of way. When it happens, it literally makes my day. Oftentimes, we allow our inner talk, our own self-doubt, our negative thoughts, to impact the experience that we have with others. It inhibits our ability to live the life that not only were we meant to live, but that you desire to live. So when I travel and I get the opportunity to speak with audiences of nearly any industry you could think of, in the last month alone, I've spoken with farmers, with C-level executives, with cybersecurity experts, with bankers, with funeral directors. And the message that everybody's looking for is consistent. How do I get out of here, this, this headspace, and how do I create fulfillment? How do I empower others to find it for themselves? If you've been on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or any social media outlet lately, and for some time, you've noticed that there's a lot of folks out there that are trying to be somebody else. We're trying so hard to, to shine, to showcase who we want others to believe that we are. When the truth of the matter is, nobody knows who the hell they actually are. So in my travels, when I get the opportunity to speak with groups, oftentimes I'll cross paths with attendees before I go on stage. I'll meet them in the elevator. I'll meet them at a restaurant. We'll have a cocktail hour the night before the engagement. And not news to many of you that I'm, I'm a damn fool. I, I dress in loud colors 
crazy outfits, bow ties, cartoons, oftentimes on my shirt, the finest collection of Jordans within a budget. And ultimately, I carry myself in a very lighthearted and fun manner. Now, I'm not always received as well as I would like to be. You're probably not always received as you would like to be. From birth, at least as long as I could recall, I've had this inner desire to be liked by most. And you could see it at times. Like you you could see how I would want to be liked by others and some of the behaviors that I exude. But I got to tell you, I've gotten a lot better at that. Because what I've realized along my journey is that it's not possible to connect emotionally to every individual. It's not possible to walk away from every interaction with the individual that you just talked with loving you. It's not possible to leave every audience for me and what I do in thought or saying that was the best speaker I ever saw. But what increases the probability of emotional connection, of people potentially liking you, is revealing your authentic self. Now, when I dress the way that I do, I love the way that it makes me feel. I love the look. I think it's fun to to push the envelope and identify whether color schemes go together. It's also a challenge of mine to whatever shirt I'm, I'm wearing at the given time uh, of an engagement, I try to work in that theme of the shirt into my presentation. It keeps my material fresh. It keeps me present. Now, recently, I, I went to Michigan and I was having one of those, those cocktail hours that I spoke of a couple minutes ago. And I walk into the room and I'm in this bright yellow colored shirt. Uh, it's it's very similar to Brad Pitt in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And uh, blue bow tie, yellow, low Jordan 1s. And as I walk in the door, I, I don't know a soul. I take that back. I probably know two people, three people in a room of 50, 60, 70 people. And I felt like the record scratched. Like as I opened the door, I see, I see one farmer say to another, now that boy ain't from around here. I hear his partner in crime say, now Skeeter, he ain't hurt nobody. Now none of that happened, but that's how I felt. Now, it was somewhat exhausting in my mind to think, I have to go up and introduce myself. I have to create dialogue because no one was really coming to me proactively. Why? If I had to guess, it was because I didn't look like them. Because I appeared to be loud, obnoxious, boisterous, maybe cocky, confident. I don't know. These are the thoughts that I'm having 
in my head. Now, as that event wraps up, that particular cocktail hour, I go back to my room and I, I reflect on the experience and I prepare myself mentally for the one-hour keynote that I'm going to do the next day. I get my outfit ready, set my alarm clock, and I'm laying there thinking, how are they going to enjoy the experience? Will this particular audience laugh at my jokes? Will they connect? I finally fall asleep after several hours of thought that I couldn't turn off, as I'm sure many of you can attest to from time to time. I wake up in the morning and I'm giddy with excitement. I'm ready to go, baby. 1,100 farmers in a ballroom conference center. I walk downstairs, I grab a cup of coffee. I cross paths with no less, no less than 10 individuals in which I make direct eye contact with and with the greatest smile that you've ever seen, biggest rather, not greatest. You've seen some gorgeous ones, I'm sure. I say, great morning, gentlemen. No less than 10 people. And the common response that I got in return was those gentlemen looking me dead into the windows of my soul and saying absolutely nothing in return. Where would your head be? Would you be anxious? Would you be concerned about how a speaking engagement is going to go? So as I got up on stage, I see these 1,100 people out in the crowd and I'm contemplating the cocktail hour the night before, the perceived challenges or roadblocks and lack of connection as I meet people in the morning and say, great morning with a smile on my face with no response in return. And it could have been very easy for me to get anxious, but I wasn't. What I was, was excited. I was excited about the opportunity to take this perception of me, of how different I was potentially to individuals in their mind and showcase how similar we actually are. See, when I dress the way that I do, it is for me, but I do have a hope. I have a hope that people judge me. I want people to judge me. See, that's counterintuitive to what I said earlier about my desire to have everybody like me. See, I want people to judge me right now. I want them to judge me so badly. Because when they judge me and they have an expectation of what's going to happen, of what they're going to receive in our relationship, of how they're going to experience me, I cannot wait to challenge that expectation. I can't wait to take that judgment and flip it on its head. How do I do it? 
How do you do it? Well, it can't be done by thinking to yourself, oh, I got to showcase the best version of myself. I got to be who they want me to be. No. How I do it, in my experience, is I reveal my heart. I embrace awkwardness. I get vulnerable. I meet people and tell relatable stories. And I actually listen with intent to what people are saying to me. You see, oftentimes I'll ask a group of attendees, how many of you would say that you're terrible at remembering names? Many of you have probably heard me say this before. And inevitably the bulk of the audience raises their hand. I would argue that for the most part, people aren't terrible at remembering names. We're not great at being present in conversation. See, as you meet somebody out and about, a new hire, uh, a potential friend of a friend, when you meet them, we're in our head about what they're wearing what we like about them, what we don't like about them, what they're going to say, what political line or party are they affiliated with? How are they receiving us? Maybe we're not even concerned about them and we're thinking about the next appointment that we have. And when we're in our head thinking about all of this stuff, how people are receiving us, their expectations of this interaction, what we're not is present in this interaction that's right before you, making it very, very difficult to remember somebody's name. You see, I found that there's power in remembering people's names because when I get up and I, I speak to a group of 1,100 speakers and I call out 30 people that I have met over the course of the last 12 hours and I mention them by name. You know what happens? I see them perk up. I see them smile. I see them for a brief moment understand and feel valued. If you prioritized creating that feeling for others, showcasing a genuine interest in people, if you prioritized remembering people's names because you understood how it made them feel, I guarantee you, you would not be bad at remembering names. So when I got up on stage with this particular group and I'm, I'm thinking about how, uh, how I'm received and, and, and the cocktail hour and uh, the lack of engagement in my morning introductions, what I did is I, I transitioned all that anxiousness into excitement and challenged myself to get them on their feet, to connect emotionally, to say people's names, to reveal my heart. And that's exactly how that stuff went down. I had an amazing conference. I talked with so many people after that particular conference. You know what's funny? That energy created 
in Michigan that day, it carried on to my next event with the funeral directors of South Carolina, where I'll never forget this, this, uh, he, he actually told me he's 87 years old, 87 year old man comes up to me and he says, you are a theater in and of yourself. I said to him, I said, sir, I don't know what that means, but I think it's the greatest compliment that I've ever been given. That gentleman looked back at me and he said, that was highly entertaining, but more importantly, it gave us a lot of food for thought. I've been in this industry for many, 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 many years. And we are challenged by monotony. And oftentimes, we don't really take the time to think about what fulfillment actually looks like. And then you turn around and you're 80 years old and you realize that all this time that you spent seeking fulfillment, it was right there in front of you the whole time and you didn't have the opportunity to enjoy it or appreciate it. How do you define fulfillment? How do you empower yourself to create it rather than waiting for others to do it for you? And how do you embrace joy through the process? This is our first podcast of 2022. And I'm repositioning myself in the market of our speaking industry. As stated before, fun was pretty much the theme of how I introduced myself to new bureaus and new clients. Fun is not what I do. It's a vehicle and a tool that I use, but it is not what I do. What I do and the theme from this moment on is how to create additional fulfillment in life. How do we create it for ourselves? And how do we have fun and embrace joy through the process? I hoped that you thought a little bit about what fulfillment looks like for you today. But know that we've only just begun. So until I catch you on the flip side, be safe, smile often, have fun, and... Deuces.